Welcome to the show. Today we have Rob Napolitano. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the uh, time you take me out and inviting me on to the show. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. So why don't we start off the podcast with a, a description of who you are, what you do, how you got there. You know, I, I love that question. Um, and I actually shy away from that question. Um, I like when I meet people, as we're just meeting ourselves, it was who I am, who you are, what we stand for, and um, you know, what difference are we making in the world? So let me tell you a little bit about um, where I've come from and what's my experiences that I've had and what it's turned me into and you know, my mission today. Um, and we'll go back, um, but we'll couch it this way. To put me in a box, which I don't like being put in a box, but we'll say I'm a real estate investor. So let's go back to in the context of real estate investing. I've been doing real estate investing for, I don't know, 20 something years now. Uh, I was in the mortgage banking industry. I had my own mortgage banking shop before the great financial crisis happened in the 2007, 2008. And up until that point, I was doing well. I was making money. I was lending my own private money. I was doing some fix and flips. I was on top of the world, single, making money. Uh, and then when the market crashed, a subprime crisis happened, uh, my business was pulled out from under because you couldn't write any more loans. People were falling into foreclosure. And so my income and my payment streams had all been cut off. Um, and over time, without that income, um, I ended up running up credit cards, taking on more debt and, you know, just falling into a mountain and a pile of debt. And what I thought I was good at, it turns out it was revealed to me that I actually sucked at it. I was terrible at real estate investing because if I was any good at it, I understand what was happening in the environment around me and how to actually get through it. So at that time, what was revealed to me was that there was a lot of nefarious stuff going on in the foreclosure world and how things are being foreclosed. And I said, you know what, I want to stay in this game and I want to get through this, not only for me personally, but I want to see how um, I can get involved in the financial crisis and maybe even profit from it and maybe, you know, make positive impact. So I went to law school to become a paralegal. I said, a lot of this stuff is going to go into the court systems. And I wanted to know how that game worked, how that, uh, how the rules were laid out and how the court system works in the foreclosure process. And I did, I went to law school, became a paralegal. Then I started a foreclosure defense group where we were assisting attorneys on how to defend, uh, illegal foreclosures, defending homeowners. Uh, it was good work. Um, you didn't make a lot of money doing that. So going on with that, you know, continue my living expenses and stuff. Um, uh, wasn't making enough money. I had to go into a bankruptcy. I went to a chapter 13 bankruptcy um, to reorganize all of my affairs. And it turns out two of the biggest lenders, the two big to fail lenders, the big institutions were foreclosing on my last two properties. And me being the uh, fighter that I am, I, I fought them inside the bankruptcy. I knew where a lot of the um, improprieties were being done in the foreclosure process, and I used that to my advantage. And to make a long story short, after three years of uh, litigating that with my attorney, I ended up winning to the point where one of the large institutions paid all of my creditors inside of my bankruptcy, paid my attorneys, and I walked out of the bankruptcy with a nice big fat check. So I'm one of the very few people you'll ever meet that went into a bankruptcy at a certain net worth and actually came out at a higher net worth. I actually made a pretty good investment going into bankruptcy. But that wasn't the great thing about it. The great thing about it was I was able to see how the inner workings of the banking system worked, how where, where, where their clever schemes were, how they were able to make money. This is, this is a great way they did. They made money here and was able to siphon all the losses here and push the losses to somebody else and keep all the profits to themselves. So the way they put that scheme together, I was able to see firsthand. And the most valuable thing that came out of that experience was I was able to build up my business now with the same kind of scheme where I can create the profits and then offload the risk and liability because of how they did it. And so from there, started my first fund in 2014, buying mortgage notes. And I wanted to be the better banker and not put people through what I went through. And so I buy a lot of these notes inside of our funds now. And uh, we make it more of a better process to try and help homeowners stay in their homes 
modify those mortgages. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's multifaceted who we serve. We serve the homeowners try to stay in their homes. We serve the banking industry where they want to get rid of those impaired assets. We take them off their books and we help investors now that want to make a nice profit on their money and build their net worth in a secure way. We have a place for them to park their money to go and do this with us. So from that bad experience, I had to go through that to have the amount of success that I'm having today. So it's been an awesome journey. And so my mission now is to clean up a lot of the banking industry, a lot of the mess that the bankers have put us into, and a lot of mess that, you know, all of this overspending and debt, the glut of debt that we have uh, in the world um, is going to need people like us to, you know, clean this up and, and restructure a lot of this. That's a great business, a fun business, and uh, it be a lucrative business. And you're helping so many people get through such hard times. It's, it's awesome. Love it. Yeah, well, the interesting part was that, like you said, you went through a point where you pretty much bankrupt yourself, but mm -hmm. some but managed to get out of it. But mm -hmm. you didn't just stop. Like a lot of times people get into that predicament, they throw their hands up and that's the end, yeah. right? I always have a philosophy that uh, successful people never see failures as failures. Mm -hmm. They see it as learning opportunities. Absolutely. Right. So I, so, have, a I have a similar philosophy where I, I have a saying, um, uh, and I, I wrote a short story about it, um, of successful failures. I wish everybody successful failure, because if you look at, um, I'm sure yourself included, uh, anybody who has um, uh, accomplished any kind of success in their life, whether it be personally, in business, whatever, you know, and you talk to them about their success and reminisce about their success, they will talk about how many times they fail. And what, what happens over time that, the really successful people have this mindset that failure is nothing more than the measuring stick of success. We measure uh, distance in miles or kilometers in your country. Uh, and you use metric system and we use a cardinal system here. We can measure volume. We can measure distance. We can measure time. We measure success in units of failure. And so if we're getting from one failure to the next, to the next, to the next, it's just a measure of one's success. And it's interesting how we're all taught don't do things wrong. Stay away from failure. Don't screw up. No, that's the wrong mindset. You can't be afraid of screwing up. As a matter of fact, screwing up is a requirement of success. It's a requirement. And so I wish everybody successful failures because that's how you get to success is by failing forward. Absolutely. Right. Behold, beware. You choose yeah, which right. one you want to pay attention to. Yeah. Right. So and again, that's the other thing. That's what I found myself. The exact same thing that uh, you're talking about. I find the what I call the posers mm -hmm. tend to have, talk about how great things have been and how they wonderful they had. And then uh, it's as if nothing's ever gone wrong. Yep. And uh, I found the real success. Talk about their lessons. Yeah. They don't necessarily talk that it's a failure. They don't necessarily. I feel that this I feel that that. But they're talking lessons. And when you yeah. hear lessons and things they've learned, the key ingredient is that that's the stuff that they learned from things they failed at. So, and you, want, and you want to know what's interesting is that you don't learn these lessons as you're going through them. You learn them. Hopefully, you learn them. Okay, because we have to be open to that, right? We're not always open to uh, our experiences and the lessons and the value in our experiences. But you have to have, you know, radical open mindedness to understand and evaluate. And so we go through these experiences, but the lessons are learned afterwards in reflection. Uh, and now that that's years and years behind me and looking back, I use that as my source now as, as um, you know, you ever hear this term, Kintsugi? No, but you describe that. Kintsugi is an Asian term where, and as I describe it, she'll understand what this is. Um, Kintsugi, K-I-N-T. S-U-G-S-U-G-I. And what it is, it's an art form, an Asian art form where, um, I, I don't know the whole history of it, but if you've seen, let's say, a porcelain vase that's been broken, it has these veins of gold through it, and they sell it as art. Well, what, the way that came about was uh, when they would break this porcelain, um, they would weld it back together with gold. And it turns out that the welding and the veins that you see in there that it becomes more of an art piece now, more valuable. And our souls are done the same way, that none of us are perfect. 
We've all had failures. We've all had pain. We've all, we're all broken people, but it's the people that actually mend themselves and mend themselves back together with this gold that makes us more beautiful. And you use your failures as a weapon of strength to move forward and to inspire others, to lead others and to help others along that we can be stronger in showing our authentic failures and not just like you said, fake it till you make it. And I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. Those that fake it till you make it and they want to say, yes, I'm polished. I'm great. I'm, no, I don't want that. Person. I want the person that's war, you know, war wounded, you know, that has that badge of honor. That's that, that's bloody dirty failed and still here because you've been through a lot and have learned and have that determination, that person is, that's the type of person that, you know, you want to be around, not the ones like, eh, no problem. This is a piece of cake. Yeah, no, it's not. It's very hard. It's very difficult. But it doesn't matter because we have perseverance to go through and push forward. Those are the people. That's Kensugi. You want to find the people that are broken, but have mended themselves back together with that gold because that's the beautiful art piece that's priceless. Absolutely. Right. Fake it to your make it is are like lottery winners. Most yeah. of them fail or lose at the lottery. And then the one that's successful never can never hold it because they got there by luck. That's right. And, and they don't understand um, the value of money. I mean, and and because and, honestly, wealth is not money is a component of wealth, but wealth is freedom, lifestyle options, freedom of thought, freedom of movement, freedom of choice. And the more wealth you have, the more you move up the economic ladder, sure, and the more you have that freedom. And but if you think about it, it's not money, it's that freedom. And so if you have win the lottery and you have multiple commas in your bank account at that point, if you still have the mindset that you're in a prison, the amount of money you have doesn't matter because you were still squandering. Exactly right. Because your mind is still in that prison. It has nothing to do with the amount of commas in the bank account. I love that. That is absolutely incredible. Great advice there. Mm -hmm. And I agree, right? And the thing is, even wealth, but let's be honest, right? In terms of um I don't know. Maybe everybody's version is different. For me, a person I can consider a person wealthy, even if they don't have millions and billions in the bank, but they have assets that produce produce cash flow every single month that allows them to do whatever they want without the need to go to a job. Mm-hmm. Right. So, whether you have millions in the bank and that feeds you, or whether you have consistent cash flow that pays your way without you needing to work to me i think that's the uh, key component i think cash flow is the key component because cash flow allows you to live your life no doubt no doubt i guess as a component but as you have that uh, freedom and that financial freedom of income what do you do with yourself then right that becomes the other part of it um there's a you know in every investment that i do and there's a couple points i want to make here with that but i want to preface it with this but in every investment i do i look at the qualitative side first and then the quantitative side right and you just talked about the quantitative side the math the numbers the numbers yes. the math the numbers work but now let's talk about the quality your life may have some financial freedom but doesn't necessarily mean that your quality of life is where it wants to be too and i'll give you a couple of examples as i said I'm, I'm sitting here in downtown nashville as i'm going to be a keynote tomorrow and one of the things i'm going to talk about tomorrow and describing where we are in today's marketplace and one of the points i'm going to bring up is that I hear it more and more and more is that some of the wealthiest people that I know have never to worry about for generations, generations, and generations about where their income is going to come from. But some of the older people with means and many commas in their bank account have no relationship with the next generation and they have fear. And the fear is real. And I've seen it as a common theme across uh, many individual investors and families as well. But the fear is when we work very hard in securing our family and our future and passing the reins along to the next generation as a fiduciary and the steward of our family's legacy. The next generation, in many cases, is not prepared to do so. And work very hard, build your wealth and secure all of it. But if to go to the next generation to see that it just may all be squandered, 
that's not wealth at all. Because here's, to me, what I found is the true wealth. You know, when I was doing the um, foreclosure defense work, I was in, I don't know, we did about, I don't know, five, 6,000 cases at that time in the, in the course of two and a half, three years. And I sat at many, many, many kitchen tables talking to people who were losing their homes. And I found a common theme across all of them. There's only two things that people want in life. And this has stuck with me for many, many years. And it, and it carries through in, when I talk to all these people. There's only two things people want in life. Number one is to find their happiness. And that's subjective. That's defined differently for everybody. And unfortunately, we live in a world now where media tries to dictate what happiness is in material things, in competitiveness, in in. In, in all these negative things and how we treat people in a, in a not so positive way. And that's not happiness. So if no. you're lucky enough to find your true happiness, then the second thing that people want, if they're lucky to find it, because not everybody's lucky enough to find their happiness, but if you're lucky enough to find it, the second thing that I found that people want out of life is more time to spend in that happiness. That's it. And it had nothing to do with the amount of commas in your bank account. It had nothing to do with um, where your social status was, the title of your job. It had everything to do with faith, hope, and love. Family, friends, and faith in God. You can come up with those three things. Everything else is built upon that. If you have that as your core, then the rest is just gravy on top. And that's what it comes down to. Those things. Happiness and more time to spend on their happiness. I said, I know many wealthy people that don't have that happiness they got many commas, but no happiness, no family, no faith, and no love. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that actually makes sense. Then no, you know what? Look, in my earlier days, right? Like when I first, my first business that took off, I remember I had, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had so like, like, you know, finances, it was just like the more, I blew the more that came back in, the more I spent, the more that came back in. And it just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, I remember, uh, like prime example, most people there for, we'll, we'll take a cell phone. Most people have their uh, phone bill would be, uh, like if you had a uh, $60,000 expense, it'd be because you have that number of employees. Mine was because I was so frustrated, so angry, so whatever, that every time I got stressed out, I would smash my phone. And we're not talking about like now where there are $2,000 phones. These were back then when they were $299. So imagine yep. smashing so many Blackberries that yep. by the time the year end came in, you had like a 60 grand write off. Yeah. Right. So, yep. uh, and that was a miserable time. Yeah. Right. Like, yep. and I remember I, I was so angry, so miserable. Um, it was one of the reasons I sold the business. It got to the point customers would call up. And, uh, oh, I was looking at my card before they can even tell me what the problem is. I swear to God, my answer is go fuck yourself. Fuck off. Yeah. And I would hang up part of my language. Yeah. Yeah, but, no, uh, and then I started to think about it and I said, you know what? Yes. There's a lot of them that are just winos and some of them are just calling to socialize. They're not actually that angry. Some of them are winos cause they want to complain about everything because they just everything. want everything yeah. for free. Yeah. And then there's the ones that are legit. Yeah. yeah. And I became so angry inside that I wouldn't even listen. Yep. to you know what the problem was yep. so i realized it's like at that rate i'm gonna have no customers mm -hmm. right so i said i i you know i gotta go i i, I need i need something different and yep. that's uh when, when i started to get serious about selling it yeah listen and, and, and it goes right back to the happiness the happiness yeah. is not there the quality of the relationship between you and your customer is not there then the quantity and the numbers and the money you're making does not matter they both have to have they both have to be there the qualitative side and the quantitative side every time has to be there and it's so important and so you know this is this is this is principle based investing business ownership entrepreneurship that when you when you ground yourself in your principles then the rest doesn't matter and the rest doesn't matter it'll come and go and and again commas in the bank account will go up they'll go down. Blackberries will break, start calling black and blueberries because you <laughs> <laughs> and then and then iPhones and everything else come out and life goes on and we will progress. But what stays steady is as I said, 
the faith, the hope, and the love, and the rest of the world will go up and go down and go through cycles. Uh, but that's where the peace is, is when you find yourself with your principles, and as long as your principles don't move, everything is fine and nothing can bother you. That makes sense. I, I completely agree with you on that. And like I said, I experienced that firsthand on my first round. And, you know, I mean, I lacked everything except for the uh, for the uh, dollars and commas at the time. <laughs> yeah, but, but again, you, you know, look, it's not, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. No. And, mo and, most, and most people become entrepreneurs because of a specific skill that they have. It may be a technical skill. It may be specific knowledge they have. It's something they can monetize. But there's so much more to business um, from a tax perspective, from a civil liability perspective, from an employee perspective, from, you know, if you want to take on outside money, from an investor perspective as well. There's so many different things. This stuff doesn't get taught in school. No, as entrepreneurs, we learn from the school of hard knocks, you know, from the street, making yeah. the mistakes. You know, and, and true entrepreneurs are the ones, as we said before, that can go through the failures, that can survive, that can have perseverance. Um, you know, I just yesterday, I was listening to a, a, a podcast, um, and they were talking about principles, and one thing really resonated with me that I knew, but was never really caught by the way he said, and he said, he was talking about dreams and um, the five principles to realize your dreams. And one of the five principles is to reconcile that your dreams come at a cost and not just money. And, and that's what we're talking about here, right? As entrepreneurs, it's cost us $60,000 in black and blueberries. It's cost us in relationships. I mean, honestly, I don't, I, I, I don't want to say all of it because I don't want to jinx myself in the middle of one of them. But right now, so, so going back to my story about when I was in bankruptcy, after I won that large sum of money, my attorney turned on me and wanted a bigger bite out of my, um, my settlement. Wow. Because he didn't believe we were going to do it. And so he turned on me and he ended up suing me. I ended up winning that. It wasn't too long ago, uh, within the last year, that I had a, another business lawsuit going on where I was suing somebody else because they stole some money off. Um, and my attorney at that point, for different reasons, turned around and sued me too. I won that one as well. Okay. And now I'm actually, so I don't want to jinx, I'm actually the third one I'm about to win as well. I'm about to go 3-0 and for attorneys that think they're entitled to more when they're absolutely not. Um, but that's a cost that I've had, you know, to accomplish my dreams to this point as well, that I've had um, good relationships with attorneys. But unfortunately, um, you know, greed sets in, human nature sets in, and it's hard sometimes to sever some of these relationships because it takes time to build these over long periods of time. Uh, but it has made me more cautious. I certainly believe, and I go, on new relations that I go into, I always believe now that, you know, the relation, the, 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 the backside of the relationship, however it ends, will not be as it starts off in the beginning. Relationships always mature one way or the other over time. And I've had some great relationships over time that really solidify and some other relationships that have gone uh, by the wayside and crumbled. But it's important to know when to cut the cord and when to say enough is enough. Right. And it's just the cost of our dreams moving forward. Well, here's the thing, right? And this is something I've never understood to this date. And I've seen exactly what you've talking about firsthand, not necessarily with attorneys, but the concept is the same where you have a deal with someone, they agree to a certain rate, they agree to a certain thing then your outcome is not exactly what they thought it would be when they agreed. Now they decided that the deal is no good and they need something different. Mm -hmm. and, and in reality is, you know, like one, as the term goes, what I get is none of your damn business. That's right. Right. And the second thing is you agreed to the rate. If you didn't right. like the rate, why yeah. did you agree? Right. Right. So I never understood that, but I guess you're right. Greed is in there. That's exactly right. 
look, and 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 I go into, I'm 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 getting into another business relationship as we speak, and I'm 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 going into it very slow. Um, with my experience, they're they're significantly younger than me. These two fellows that I may be going into with, um, but they don't have the experience that I have, and I can see some of the temptations that are lie ahead of them. I can see some of the bad decisions they could potentially make, but I'm not sure they have the will to resist that devil. And so I'm very, I'm very cautious in getting into an agreement with them. And we're, we're, that's why we're going, I'm going into a different type of agreement with them where my time is covered until they can go across some of these trials and tribulations on the back end and how they deal with those temptations. We'll see how they uh, act or react. Um, and then we can move into a more developed and matured uh, arrangement uh, together. Um, but it's been, that's been the experience that, you know, you know, greed is there, you know, especially in our business, there's a ton of money to be made. Uh, and there are a lot of sharks in my business. Um, and so getting into business with the right people is so important um i mean look i'm fine i'll take you up i never take the opportunity to pat myself on the back but i'm going to for the moment um you know the last couple of years i went on to a couple of side um investments outside of you know real estate and stuff and i've done it with a couple of my investors that did not work out um but they took the ride with me and i lost uh money their money some of their money a lot of their money um, but I bought their losses from them. I didn't have to. I came out of my own pocket to reimburse them, and I took the losses. Um, it was never in any agreement to do that. It was uh, not required at all, but I valued the relationship and how they trusted me to go down that path, and it was, I guess, you know, my Italian guilt that said, ah, I screwed up was my choice. I made some mistakes. I made some bad choices. My mistake. They shouldn't have to pay for my mistakes. And so they didn't. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. None of that. None of them ever came back. Hey, you know, you should, as a matter of fact, one of them came back to me and said, hey, that's a great idea. Can I buy some of the losses too? Because I could use it for offsetting some of the taxes that I have to pay and lower my tax liability. And he wanted to come back in and say, let me participate in the loss purchase with you and he did um i thought it was a great idea again not necessary to do but these are the types of relationships you want to have it's not the stuff that's in writing it's the stuff that's not in writing that uh that's important um and it's again the the the, the quality and the character of the people versus what's on paper, the quantitative side, the numbers, and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. If you can't have a meeting of the minds and a meeting of the souls, then you're probably not going to have a long-lasting relationship. But we have to get through other relationships to get to those very, very special ones as well. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely. as an entrepreneur, you, you should keep that in mind, though, right? You want to have a small group of people that are just going to be the ones that you want to have dinner with during the holiday. And everybody else, or you got to get to you got to get through that. It's just, you know, you have different relationships with them, but you should have an exclusive set of relationships with people of like time like that. Makes sense. Well, I always believe you're growing or dying, and the people that uh, suit your lifestyle today doesn't necessarily mean those are the ones that uh, don't suit you tomorrow and yeah. vice versa. Absolutely. You know, when, when I started in financial services, I was 17 years old, and I worked for a company called Payne Weber. I don't know if you remember a company name like that. It was a long, long time ago, a Wall Street firm called Payne Weber. And they uh, were scooped up by, and now it's UBS Securities. Gotcha. Um, but I worked for them for two years as a summer intern. And the two guys that I worked for, um, I worked for them for two years, and I've been friends with them and their families for 30-something years. Okay? Wow. And... I, you know, to this day, I mean, they're traveling the world. I can just pick them up, call them on the phone and just see what's going on. They've been to my wedding. I've been to their kids' weddings. Uh, and we just kept a relationship because they're just the right people. We did business for two years. I worked for them. And the rest of the 30 years has been friends. And I've called upon them for, 
you know, advice, guidance, how do you handle this? And, you know, they're always good people to have in your life and surround yourself by. But you have a small group of people you surround yourself with, and the rest is just to see who you can find out of the general population you can pull out of there. But it's important to think of it that way. Uh, because as I just said, there's only certain people that are going to help you to rise to the top. Everybody else either try and pull you down or not add any value to your life. And it's got to be mutual. You're adding value to them and they're adding value to you. Absolutely. Uh, that, gets, that gets back to the principles, though. Right? You got your principles and you're giving and they're giving. It's got to be mutual. Not that, as you say, people want to look in your pocket and see what you're making. That's no, a one-way street. Don't look at what I'm making. It's about what I'm giving you. Look at what I'm bringing you. And that's what you have to do. If you think, of, if you think you're better off in life without a relationship for them, then go. If you think I bring value to a relationship, then don't worry about how much I'm making to bring value. What's the value worth to you? That's just their mindset. 1,000%. So, which brings up a point, right? Like, I mean, your business is interesting, but it's not like it's something like you open up the papers and find people. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, how do you come across these deals? How do you come across the ones that need the help? Or do they come um, to you? They, they, they do come to me. There's a marketplace for this. And you don't go to the people in this uh, market. You actually go to um, the banks. You go, to, you go to the banking industry. And the banking industry, they, 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 it's common that they do this. You know, They always want to um, keep their best assets and offload those that are impaired. Uh, and so we serve the banking institutions in that way that they need a place to sell those impaired assets. And ours is one group that is out there buying them. Um, so we help to trim their portfolio, free up their cash flow so they can go out and make better loans and keep the A grade paper uh, and anything, you know, B or C type paper, scratch and dent as they call it as well, they sell off. Um, and, and, and we pick that up. Uh, we work that, uh, uh, that, that file. Uh, and, and try to modify people to stay in their homes, modify their payments, their terms. There's a number of ways to do that. Um, again, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's a very lucrative business in dealing with the banks and picking up these things. So you don't necessarily get to choose, you know, um, uh, you know, the Smiths living at 123 Main Street. <laughs> no, you buy, you know, large quantities of these files. Uh, in bulk, and as you get into the files, you'll you'll see who the borrower is uh, and what the address is. Now you can see that beforehand, so you can actually you know kind of pick and choose what right. demographic area you want to go to, uh, geographic area, you know, type of credit. There's all sorts of criteria you can use in what kind of loans you want to pull based on your strategy. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you get to go to, you know. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith at one, two, three Main Street. Let me go buy your loans. It happens, but it's not. That's not the norm gotcha. um, of how that typically works. It's typically you go into the banking, the secondary markets, and buying the stuff in bulk. Now, let me ask you. Like, I'm assuming that you typically stay into uh, residential. Uh, yes, I do. We could do this. I mean, look, it's a great question. Um, this actually uh, helps me to put some of my thoughts together for tomorrow. Keep well, because I'm talking about the marketplace. <laughs> um, in the end, when you really look at this business, it's it's buying a financial instrument. And by the way, I'll give you the secret: you're buying these things at big discounts. That's how you're making your money. Okay, so think about think about um, you know if you go to the supermarket um, and if a gallon of milk costs eight dollars to the consumer think about you going directly to the farm and buying the milk uh, at a discount at three dollars a gallon okay you're making your money in your buy you're buying at a discount at three bucks and sell it at eight that's where you're making it so does that mean you're selling at eight no that means you could probably sell it at six and double your money be under the market price sell more of it and actually doubling your money so buying things at that much of a discount gives you a lot of leeway to structure things where it makes sense for the end uh, uh, user, in this case, right. the homeowner, and gives you a lot of spread to make a lot of margin and income. So you're buying these things at a discount. And so when the business is you're buying these impaired assets at a discount, and it's really a modification of a financial instrument, does it really matter what the underlying collateral is, whether it's residential 
whether it's commercial, whether it's an automobile, whether it's personal finance, whether it's on cell phones, anything that consumers make monthly payments on can go through the same strategy. Now, the reason why you look at if it's single family, residential, commercial, depends on, in the end, if a deal cannot be worked out financially, you get to take back the collateral. What collateral do you have? And you know, then it goes into expertise. What's your expertise? You know, I saw one the right. other day on, on farm equipment, financing a farm equipment. I could do it there too. But if I take back the trackers, I don't have the network on where do I go and sell that? Where do I auction that? You know, right. where do I put the equipment back out to deploy? And so that's what it really comes down to. So could I do it on any one of it? I could. Uh, I like the residential because I feel because of what I went through, you know, in my bankruptcy and what they did to me and how they scarred me. I'm staying in the residential. That's, that's where I feel my fight and my battle is, is on the consumer and the homeowner. Uh, and there's plenty of opportunity to um, deleverage the homeowner. Um, so I don't need to go anywhere else. I stay in the residential because it's where I was scarred and there's plenty to do there and there's plenty of work to be done there. But it doesn't mean that you couldn't do this in any other financing uh, part of uh, any other, other financing piece as well. You just... You gotta have the network where if you can, if you can take back the collateral, really. Makes sense. I, I like the residential uh, space as well. I'm uh, not a fan of the commercial part of it is because it doesn't make sense to me. Um, like I'll give you an example. We'll take a Starbucks, and well, you know, as a Starbucks, that Starbucks lot is uh, just say it's like, for argument's sake, just say it's three thousand square feet, mm-hmm. right? It's a small shop and. You take that, make it a residential home. The lot it might be worth one and a half million. Turn it into a Starbucks, and it's worth five million. To me, that makes no damn sense. It's the same piece of land. Now I know it has to do with cap rate. I know what it has to do with income, but in my logical head, it sounds stupid. And because in my head it sounds stupid, how can I invest in something I think is stupid? So <laughs> I stay yeah, away from it for that reason. And you're absolutely right. And, and, and honestly, what you said is so profound. Okay. Let's let's just dive into what you just said. I love what you just said. Cap rates, income producing, cash flow analysis, a corporate, um, a, a corporate tenant, a corporate occupier, looking at their PE ratios on their IPO and their stock prices. All sorts of different numbers come into play. Okay, there are so many different ways to look at finance. The real winners that really make money in this business, keep it simple. And yeah. if it gets too complicated, the power of no, let me stay in my lane and stay with what I know is very powerful. Just stick with what it is that you know. The more you can simplify this and keep your life simple, the better off you'll be in the long run. I mean, again, we're, we were talking about, I was talking with someone yesterday about in this business how they, and I'm going to throw some words that, it's going to wrapping mortgages, doing wraps in seconds and, and, and doing fractional mortgages. I know how to do all that. Okay. And I said to my colleague, he goes, Oh, we're making so much money doing it. I said, yeah, the challenge comes in is that number one, you're, you're dealing with homeowners. Okay. And you do have to go through if, if you have to take back the property, you do have to go through a foreclosure process. And in some states that requires the judicial system. And what happens when you have to explain this overly sophisticated and complicated deal that you did to a judge and possibly a jury? How do you think it's going to work out when it's so complicated for the people no. that are going to be have a power to make a decision of whether you win or lose? How do you think it's going to look like? Right? Think about that. So you can make all this money in 10 deals and the 11th deal can go that way and wipe you all out. And so why go down that path? Oh, but you can make this money. Yes, you can. Not for me because there's complications there that don't need to go into the weeds. There's plenty to go in a particular direction and stick with what you know. So my point is what you said, going back to the principles. When you can keep your principles very simple and stick to that discipline, I don't understand it. I don't do it. Great principle. Yeah, it makes Doesn't sense. Matter how Doesn't matter it's how complicated true. it gets. I don't understand how a lot of that stuff goes. Um, 
and I still find it complicated, but I find there's much easier ways of making money. So I make a little bit of a joke that I'm the lazy investor <laughs> and, it, and it's, and it's facetious, but not, um, I do tell people how lazy I am. and I like to be lazy. Um, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm not. So it's, what I try to do, my motivation is to stop working and let my money go to work. And so part of my principles and decision-making is, do I go into that deal? Is it going to put me to work? Or can I just put my money to go to work so I can have more time to sit around and be lazy? Not that I'm not lazy. I enjoy more time with my kids and, and having more of that freedom and more command of my life and what it is that I can do. But that's part of my principles. Is this deal going to require a lot of my time and my expertise to unwind to make this much money? Am I going to be putting more money or more time into it? I'd rather put more money into a deal so I can keep my time. And so that's one of the principles I have. I want to be lazy. I want my time to do what I want to do because it's my choice and my freedom to do so. Put the money to work so I don't have to go to work. So simple principle. Um, like I said, that's I a good principle. Stuff. Yeah, I can do that, that crazy stuff with the commercial. I can do it. I can run circles around people. Yeah, but that's work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I can figure it out. I mean, to get my realtor's license, I had yeah. to know that stuff. But Absolutely. it's one of those things that if I disagree with the principle, yeah, just, you know, why participate? So here's what you're going to find out. Here's the farce. Valuations are subjective and they're all bullshit. <laughs> they're all bullshit. Okay. There's a saying that I put in this business as well. I, 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 I wrote a book. I haven't published it yet, but one of the things that I wrote in my book, I, I love when people come up, hey, Rob, I got a deal for you. Mm -hmm. I said, no, you don't. I, didn't, I haven't looked at it yet. I'm like, you don't have a deal. Uh, but you haven't looked at it. I know it's not a deal. I said, because nobody sells their deal. If it was a deal, you'd keep it. You're selling me some shit that you can't handle. <laughs> I may be able to handle it. So don't tell me it's a deal. It's something you realtors do all the time, right? You always got to polish up or you you know, doesn't matter that you know there was there was a murder in that bedroom, but we won't talk about that. Beautiful <laughs> it's got a view over the water. <laughs> I got a great deal for it. what a view it has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ignore the odor, but the view is amazing. Yeah. Ignore the odor in those same spots on the window. But that's just part of the decor. <laughs> so, you know, when people, oh, I'm always I'm always skeptical when people, you know, they. Uh, they bring me a deal. I was like, it's not a deal. Show me where this particular transaction lacks, what it lacks, and I'll tell you if I can fix it, which I usually can, and what it's going to cost me in time and money. And then I'll tell you whether or not. Because honestly, it's a different perspective. Deals are not um, done. Deals are not traded. Deals are born from uncomfortable circumstances. Yes. People have uncomfortable circumstances. And we as investors have to have the tools to supplement what's lacking in a particular transaction. And if we can bring our tools, expertise, time, money, whatever the deal or the transaction needs, then create a deal but deals are not traded deals are created what's out there are uncomfortable circumstances and impaired transactions that's what creates a deal everybody trades their shit everybody keeps their deals and when you come at it from that perspective and look at it well what's wrong with this can i fix it and i can fix most of them whether or not i want to or not is a different question and that's why you got to get down to your principles. I know the power of saying no is so powerful. Yeah, you're right. No is more powerful than yes. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I love that. And and yeah, you're right. Like another word for deal is opportunity. And I th yeah. think there's opportunity anywhere you want to find it. Mm -hmm. It's just you got to be open-minded to see it. But because, right, this opportunity, again, shows its, its itself in the form of um, uncomfortable circumstances who has an uncomfortable circumstance and when you look at it from the uncomfortable circumstances and you look around 
everybody has an uncomfortable circumstance. Everybody. And so what's the uncomfortable circumstance? That's how you approach it. And that's how you solve the problem. You're right. So um, you just reminded me of a little uh, conversation I had with a, a friend of mine and a friend client. And I remember a common word is always, hey, do you have any deals out there? And I said, you know, I said, there's no real deals out there. Um, and he goes, well, what do you mean? I'm always looking for deals. There's always something out there. And I said to him, I go, look, what you're looking for is you want someone to suffer so you can bargain hunt with them and uh, take advantage and joy from their misery. Mm-hmm. That pause and a look on his face when I said that, because <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks of it that way. <laughs> well, but see, but there are people that think of it that way. The true players. See, there's, I always have to give credit to a gentleman, a friend of mine, Jeff Watson, who's an attorney out of Ohio, who came up with this term. I heard it was brilliant. And I use it and I steal it from him all the time, but I give him credit of this term of a entrepreneur. They're not Entrep- an entrepreneur but they're a wantrepreneur. And those are people that are wantrepreneurs. They're not the real ones. No. They're not real entrepreneurs. They are wantrepreneurs. And when I heard that term, I, I had to just, you know, steal that term, but I do give them credit. That, uh, and, and you see a lot of wantrepreneurs. That's okay to want to be. But define yourself as that. Understand yeah. where you are in that ladder. And then be radically open-minded to adjusting your mind to, not a deal, but uncomfortable circumstances. Exactly what you said. If they if they have that reaction, what are you talking about? Okay, Mr. Wantrepreneur, <laughs> let me explain to you how this works. You really want to know how this works? <laughs> Here's how it works. Here's the reality of it. Well, if they want to make awesome. that transition to entrepreneur, that's up to them. But slapping them in the face, let them know, no, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's, a shock. it's a shock to them. I know it's true. Now, you brought up a good point here, right? And, and something that I'm curious to your perspective on this. And I personally believe, and there's always exceptions, but I personally believe that it's entrepreneurship isn't something that you develop and that you build. It's something that's in you. You may not realize it till later in life. I mean, like usually most people I come across that are true entrepreneurs, they go through their life and things don't ever seem to click or fit growing up. They don't fit the mold. They never do. And they don't know why. And what ends up happening is later on in life, they get out and venture somewhere. And then that's where they figure out their place when they try to do something they weren't doing before or where everybody around them wasn't doing. Um, but today, the word entrepreneurship is cool and everybody wants to be it. And everyone thinks they are and they think they can learn it. And I don't believe it's something learned. I believe it's in you or it's not. You may not know how to harness it, but you have it or you don't. I think it's. I think I think it's interesting. I've never looked at that that way. So as you're saying this, I'm kind of analyzing in my head, and I came up with a couple of things as I looked into my heart about this. And I think initially my thoughts are: there's parts that you're born with, and parts that are learned. And I'll say it this way, because I agree with you. Um, so a couple of thoughts that went through my head. Uh, and let me say them first. So I can come back so I don't lose them. There's free-range thinking, lateral thinkers, and in the box. So I, we, there's a common saying, oh, you think outside the box. I'm an entrepreneur because I think outside the box. Okay? I go one step further. I say you're not an entrepreneur if you think outside the box. If you acquiesce that a box exists, you've already lost. What box? Right? What box? Why acquiesce to common nomenclature? Oh, you think outside the box. What box? Right? So already we're submitting if we say, I think outside the box. And so we don't fit when we think about a box. Got a point there. Never thought and, of it that way. And so there is this thought of, or this, this, this thing of lateral versus linear thinkers. A lateral thinker are the navigators of the world. Think of a mariner on the ocean, a captain of a ship. The captain of a ship has to make lateral moves based on the weather, the tides, and all sorts of outside forces as these natural 
oceans and things change. It's got to be a lateral thinker. It's got to be reactive and proactive and be able to think and do critical thinking. Whereas the linear thinkers are um, the crew on the ship. They have a role. They have a responsibility. They have duties and tasks, and they do within the rules and the confines of their orders. Employees. Okay? Employees. And that's <laughs> the difference between employees and the entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so the difference between lateral thinking and, 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 and linear thinking, I think, can be developed, I think, because that has to do with, I think, fear and how we manage our fears. Well, if I don't do as I'm told, according to my orders, and if I'm not this linear thinker, I'm afraid of what my consequences might be, right? Whereas a lateral thinker doesn't think about the rules, but thinks about the consequences, right? If I break the rule, can I live with the consequence? If I make a new rule because of my circumstances, can I live with the consequence? If I stick to the rules, am I willing to deal with the consequences, which may be negative, right? And so entrepreneurship doesn't come with rules. Entrepreneurship comes with circumstances. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in living and making decisions based on circumstances versus based on what the rule says. Right. Now, now I teach my children this. I mean, it's a funny story. When my, my, my daughter was two years old, you know, we teach our kids based on consequences. And my wife and I, we agree on this. That the kids are going to know the rules, but they don't have to obey the rules. But they're going to understand the consequences. For instance, my kids absolutely know. Guys, it's time to, you know, clean up your toys and put them away. Oh, but we don't want to. <clears throat> and I say to them, that's okay. You don't have to. Daddy will. But you know where I'm going to put the toys. No, 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 no. <laughs> go? no problem. You don't have to clean up at all. But just understand what's going to happen. Fine, fine, fine. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. No, no, no. It's okay. You don't have to. They understand. There's hardly any arguments in my house. We just say, no problem. If that's the way you want to do it, here are the consequences moving forward. If that's your choice, it's going to make the consequences harsh enough. That's all. Um, and things get done. But they don't have to follow the rules at all. So when she was two years old, I used to carry her on my shoulders, especially taking her out to, to her daycare at that point. And uh, she was loved carrying her on my shoulders walking out to the car. And at two years old, she had to take her vitamins one morning, uh, every morning. And so but the one morning, she didn't want to take it. And I had her up on the counter, and I, I told her, you have to take your vitamins. And she said, no. I said, if you don't take your consequence, I said, if you don't take your vitamins today, you're not getting it right on daddy's shoulder. This is exactly what she did to me. I'll walk. I said, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At two years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I was so shocked. And I rewarded her. No vitamin that day. She won. And I took her on my shoulder anyway because I was like, wow. She consequences. <laughs> and I was like, that is awesome. And so I have an entrepreneur in the making there. Um, and so that's the difference. When we based on consequences as opposed to the rules, um, there's a difference. And that's entrepreneurship. There are no rules. We do what we can, and we do the best we can. And our decisions aren't always right, but you can't have that fear of failing. And we talked about that before. Yeah, it's, that's true. It's, con it's consequence-based decision-making, lateral thinking, not linear thinking. What box? And why do we think it's that? Because if we're in a box, that means there's constraints and there's rules. We don't think outside the box. Of, uh, okay. What rules? Well, it's just... It's, that's, that's what how makes the world go round. The, the entrepreneurs are the visionaries, and we create the rules as we go. We make mistakes as we go. Um, it's just part of the life, you know. Yeah, that's everything true. We talked about it's everything we talked about. There's cost to it. We make we make mistakes, and not everything is perfect. But we just keep going. And the most important key factor here is there's no damn manual. No. That's why I can't. That's why I don't believe. And here's going to be a very strong opinion that some people are not going to like me for, but I don't care, so. is that you can't go to university to learn entrepreneurship. This no. was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. To no. me, uh, universities creating an entrepreneurship program 
is them saying we're becoming irrelevant and we're going to have to do something that can that that people are going to be interested yep. in so let's create this since it's the buzzword yep that's just my perspective and hey like it great don't so what <laughs> right yep. that's the end of the day that that's my yep. perspective <laughs> yeah. i mean uh, no because again universities are, are there designed to indoctrinate their students to follow rules and create linear thinkers 100 linear, linear thinkers are not entrepreneurs they are not entrepreneurs because these universities today are actively shutting critical thinking and free thinking down yes they they want to tell you what you should be thinking yes and that kills entrepreneurship and I've... honestly that's part that, that that's part of a that's part of a control mechanism of controlling um, and, and taking away some of our freedoms, freedom of thought. And as we talked about before, freedom of thought, freedom of movement, lifestyle options, and all these different options. Uh, universities are there to, they used to be able to, and they used to promote free thinking. You come to your own conclusions based on facts, help you think, not anymore. Now they give you the conclusions without facts. Yeah, exactly. I, and that's the thing, right? It's, I, I think they shouldn't stop being called university and maybe re, be renamed to robotics. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're universities because they're creating their own universe and they want everybody to abide by the rules of their universe. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, an, it's an interesting time that we're in. Um, I'm sure we can talk hours on this stuff and where we're going, but we are at an interesting time where. Um, the world is definitely changing from generation to generation, um, where belief systems collide, um, where freedoms are being attacked, and where um, those who have their freedoms being attacked are somewhat rebellious. And I think that contention is going to grow uh, more and more over time in the not too distant future. So we're yeah. living in some interesting times, I think. I agree. I mean, hey. I, I think the, the there's some going to be some good coming out of this. Always is. There yeah. Always is. And honestly, this is not the first time that you know in the history of mankind that societies have gone through this. This is a natural cycle change where we're changing of the guard, we're changing of the world empires, uh, and we've been here before. Um, uh, we're just going to see, you know, where the uh, the Western powers end up in the whole fray of things, but the Western powers on a global stage is definitely being challenged. Um, and we'll see, you know, how it all plays out. But in the end, there'll be peace and prosperity. It's just a matter of what we have to go through first to get there. And again, as entrepreneurs, adversity, challenges, failure, meh, what day is today? <laughs> exactly. It's part of the progress. <laughs> that's all, that's all it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Awesome. Rob, in later time, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. This has been phenomenal so far. Um, second last I'm question good. is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? You keep it simple. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's going to sound silly, but at the end of the day, if I wake up, uh, and my wife is in bed with me and at the end of the day, she's still there and my kids are still there. That's it. And I've done nothing to harm what I have and I've hopefully done something to enhance my relationships with my family. That's it. The core of it is my failures will always be with me. Uh, my faith in God is with me and then my family is the next one. So my failures, my faith and my family. So I got that third one and they're still there and everything. I'm doing good with all three. So as long as by the end of the day, it's all still good. We're good. Love that. And last but not least for anybody who wants to reach out to you or uh, find you or read more up, uh, where would they go? Uh, GRITrust.com or CapturingTomorrow.com because that's our philosophy. CapturingTomorrow.com um, is our philosophy in our investing where we are working towards preserving uh, the future of our children um, by making economic, prudent economic decisions today and investing, capturing our wealth 
today for our children's uh, future tomorrow and those that want to join us in that um, in our investments are certainly welcome to um, they can reach out to us directly at brilliant at capturingtomorrow.com because we want to help as many people as we can out there become brilliant at capturingtomorrow.com love that thanks so very much for uh, being on my uh, show today John, this was awesome. I really appreciate the time. You run a great show here, and I, I'm really uh, honored to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for sure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.